This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. They say that journalists are writing the first draft of history. That means there will be revision, there'll be editing. In some cases, they'll be forgetting, too. Here's a headline from the Associated Press. Tulsa pastors honor holy ground 100 years after massacre, talking about the Tulsa race massacres. How did we forget that one? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. On a story like this, does it matter if you have a general assignment reporter versus a religion reporter? The answer there has to be yes, simply stated. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place in the coverage of a story this important to have writers from other beats. I think it's very important, though, when you're dealing with African-American culture and the Bible Belt in particular, or anywhere in America for that matter, that you have someone cover the story who has some sense of how the black church talks and who it talks with and something about its history before you go into something like this. Let me let me turn your question around for a second uh, back to you. Do you think it would have made a difference over the previous 12 to 15 months if there had been more religion reporters involved in covering Black Lives Matter as a movement and as a, a major story in American life? Do you think that would have made a difference? I think it would have made an enormous difference. We, I think we would have learned a lot more about the presuppositions, the, for lack of a better word, the metaphysics behind an organization like that. Well, the main thing is that we would have realized from the start something that you and I have talked about before here on this podcast, which is that there were, in effect, at least three different things that the press kept calling Black Lives Matter. I mean, in the sense that we had, first of all, a, a social movement that could be seen right up front when it began, and the black church was at the center of a lot of those early demonstrations. And in fact, when you had reporters who were paying attention, you had white churches cooperating with black churches in a lot of those early demonstrations, and the result looked something like the language and the style and, dare I say, the theological content of the civil rights movement. And we called that Black Lives Matter. But then we also had an organization online and at the national level called Black Lives Matter that had a, a very public platform, which it took down and revised. But this was very political. It was very sociological. It, several of its leaders openly claimed to be Marxists. And then you had demonstrations, uh, legal, I would note, legal, associated with that movement. But then we had a third thing going on, which was it seemed like once the legal demonstrations were over, it seemed like we had a completely different group of people, a lot of them white, a lot of them from around the country, 
and they were called Antifa and a bunch of other things, but they were still holding banners that said Black Lives Matter. And these often turned into violent demonstrations and riots and looting and a lot of other things. Now, in the press, we never got a distinction between those three groups. And the further we went into it, from my personal observation, the more we lost the black church. And if you'll remember, I kept saying over and over, I guarantee you the black church is there. It's in those legal demonstrations. It's in those hymn sings, and it's in other things related to this. But why aren't we hearing from the black church? My answer to that is Black Lives Matter got turned into a political story leading up to the presidential election of 2020. And once you've crossed over into that territory, it seems like in American journalism there's no way to go back. So that's kind of the framework I would like to apply to the cover of the Tulsa massacre, an incredibly important subject, one that, quite frankly, for reasons of blatant racism, was hidden from the public in Tulsa and in other parts of America for years. And you had efforts to have it mentioned in school curriculum, and that was turned down. We have a similar situation here. I live in East Tennessee near Knoxville. There, were, there was a riot in Knoxville about that same time, a little bit earlier, that still to this day people are debating about whether or not the details of that should be opened up and discussed and put in schools. Now, the minute you get into a discussion of that kind, you're going to be dealing with the leadership of the black church as some of the key voices representing that community and representing the, the city as a whole. So what I'd like to point out here, and you mentioning the Associated Press article is so important. The Associated Press did several things with the Tulsa massacre, but one of the things they did is they sent their new religion beat specialist, someone named, his name is Peter Smith, and at Get Religion we rarely try to bring personalities into our discussions of religion news, but in the case of Peter Smith, we simply have to. This is a man that over the last decade or so, Get Religion has hailed as one of the top religion reporters in American life over and over. Now, this doesn't mean we may not criticize something he, he reports from time to time or, or how a subject is approached, but it makes a total difference, a massive difference when an experienced trained, in this case, theologically educated reporter is sent to Tulsa to sit in pews and talk to people in different groups that are in this story and then report to the public what they have to say. And for me, even while you were reading about a tragic, tragic story and unbelievable levels of violence and let's just call it sin involved in what happened in that massacre, Getting to see it through the lens of a professional religion reporter made a huge difference in this story. What in particular about this story struck you as kind of a, a very good uh, exemplar for how to report something like this? Well, I thought it was very significant 
that they didn't leave the public with the impression that only quote-unquote liberal black churches were involved in this. Now, there were churches that I would say are on the mainline Protestant side of things, and they're quoted, and they should be, because they're an important part of the story. But after you've heard from some of them, down in, in this story, a, an interesting thing happens. Peter Smith is aware that in the Southern Baptist Convention, in the Assemblies of God, and in a lot of other groups that the public thinks of as white churches, even though they're, they're quite racially complex, especially the Assemblies of God, he went the extra mile and found Southern Baptist churches in Tulsa, one of them only two miles from the section of North Tulsa that was at the heart of the massacre, and asked what they were doing and found churches in, in one, the First Baptist Church of Tulsa, a Southern Baptist congregation, and when you've got the word First Baptist in front of your name, that's big in the Bible Belt. And here was a church that had built a prayer room dedicated to the massacre, and included in this was some pretty blunt material. They had put up examples of things that white church pastors said after the massacre to claim that it was just as much a problem of the black people as it was the white people, and some horribly racist things that were said, blaming the massacre on African Americans, and trying to just wash it away somehow. And Peter Smith quoted Pastor Deron Spoo of this church, very bluntly saying, while we don't know what the pastor 100 years ago at First Baptist Tulsa said, I want to be very clear. Racism has no place in the life of a Jesus follower. And then he kept hunting, and he found another church and talked about what they were doing, and then he talked about what churches were doing together. And I have no doubt that that's an accurate representation of some of what is happening in Tulsa related to the massacre and the memories of it and efforts to educate people about it. I guarantee you that there were churches that worked together to mark this, black churches and white churches, that wanted to make sure that this incredibly important observance took place in the context of learning and understanding and mutual prayer. One of the veteran members of the Get Religion team Bobby Ross, one of the other hats he wears is he's editor of an international newspaper for the Churches of Christ. And Bobby has been all over this story from the start and, and has taken some flack, which he wrote an editorial about recently, about their coverage of racial reconciliation. But Bobby did precisely what Peter Smith did. He started calling around in Tulsa to Churches of Christ on both black and white, and saying just simply, what are y'all doing? And he found, you know, a joint worship service on this topic with two very important churches in that area, and, and thus was able to find out not only who was involved, but what they said and what was the, the biblical content of what they had to say and what did they want the church to learn from this. And where maybe do we go from here? And I can't stress 
that that kind of constructive material is something that often is missing when you have reporters assigned to these stories that frankly don't know who to call. And they don't know that there's a growing number of African-American Southern Baptists. And they don't know that the Assemblies of God is one of the most racially inclusive bodies of believers in American church life. They, they just don't know some of the facts, and thus there are elements of the story that they miss. From a newsman's perspective, how would you answer the question that is being asked so much this week in light of this 100th anniversary, apart from the fact that Americans have incredibly short memories, even of their own history, how did we manage to largely forget this event? Well, I think the the short answer is that for generations, white Americans and leaders wanted to forget it or wanted to pretend that it never happened in the first place. I, I also would argue that it's hard for some serious subjects to get coverage in the Bible Belt if you're counting on them being covered by elite newspapers and elite newsrooms in other parts of the country. I mean, you can have a massive flood in Nashville, Tennessee, that won't get nearly as much coverage as a flood that occurs in a section of the country that's closer to the the big newsrooms. I mean, or, or a natural disaster close to those big newsrooms. And that's not to blame them completely for that. Location, location, location matters. But in this case, I really think that one of the reasons they didn't learn what was happening with efforts to, it's not promote the Tulsa massacre, but to take it seriously and bring it forward so that people could deal with it, is that a lot of those efforts were taking place in churches and in religious communities, and in part because of the leadership of the black church. The story that Bobby Ross wrote by, by going down and visiting and attending one of the worship services between a predominantly white church and a predominantly black church, he got that story not only because he knew about it, but he got it because these churches have been meeting for several years now, getting ready for this event, trying to find ways to constructively deal with it and discuss it and pray about it together. I was struck by a quote from one of Bobby's stories where the African-American pastor, Pastor Luster, his last name is Luster, said, the prejudice that exists within the body is on both sides of the fence. This is something that Satan has created within us, and it is his effort to divide us and keep us divided. Let us overshadow that with the Spirit of Christ. Let us learn to accept one another and be together as one. That's theological language, not political language. And these church congregations might not agree with each other on everything when it comes to debating what should be done about the massacre. The subject of reparations leaps to mind. In the case of Tulsa, you're dealing with you know, specific churches that were burned to the ground. Now, I don't know what you think about reparations, and it often is treated as a kind, once again, as a kind of political subject where the government should pay 
people, you know, Native Americans or African Americans or whatever, X amount of money because of the sins that were done against them. You're going to get into all kinds of discussions at that point. To what degree should major American corporations pay reparations? But do you see how that's different than a group of people getting together in Tulsa and asking if it would be possible for churches to work together to raise money to help, even a, a century later, help some parts of this community and specific churches recover or extend their ministries to deal with the after effects of racism. That churches getting together to work on mission projects related to that, that's probably going to be perceived differently by readers than efforts involving, I don't know, Amazon.com or the federal government. And once again, this is the kind of subject that I believe trained religion reporters are more likely to spot and to cover than the bluntly political discussions of something like critical race theory and academic discussions of topics like that. That's one of the things that I found remarkable about it, although one could hardly avoid the context of critical race theory, given that he's writing this in you know, 2021. The reporter didn't feel the need to go and talk to some pinheaded in an ivory tower about to theorize about this event. I heard an excellent interview with the grandchildren of survivors of this event on National Public Radio. And they managed also to get through this without any mention of critical race theory or contextualizing that way. But see, once again, I think it's important for the public to know how divided people are in terms of defining what critical race theory even is. And the simple fact of the matter is that African Americans don't agree on all parts of that. And there are large differences between, let's just openly say, conservatives within the black church and some of the academic and professional blue checkmark Twitter voices on this subject. The degree to which racial discrimination is rooted, like that pastor said, in something related to the fall or to sin, I think if you know something about Christian theology, or Jewish theology for that matter, you'd have to say that there is nothing more systemic than what the major faiths teach about the fall, the Edenic fall. And yes, I'm talking Adam and Eve, but I'm talking about the fall of creation into brokenness and sin. If you take the fall seriously, you're not going to have trouble saying that racism is an ongoing issue of sin and crime that is rooted in institutions because those institutions are broken, just as we are broken. And if you get a group of black church pastors and white church pastors together to talk about that kind of an issue, they're not going to agree on everything, as I keep saying, but they're going to agree on a lot. And we see this sort of God-shaped hole in coverage of a lot of things right now, and I would, I would stress we see it in discussions of what Southern Baptists are arguing about when it comes to race and critical race theory.
And part of the problem is we're seeing these things discussed in political and in some cases angry academic language when the people in these churches, black and white, are frequently discussing it in the language of Martin Luther King Jr. and other thinkers, and they're thinking about it in religious terms and theological terms. And I dare say you're going to find more agreement and more common ground in those church conversations than in conversations, I don't know, on an Ivy League campus these days. So with about a minute or so, Terry, what are the kind of bullet point takeaways from what you call this excellent example of covering this story that has so many angles, but especially one that can't be divorced from its religion angle? Well, one thing I would say is don't be afraid to attend worship services and quote the actual religious content. Don't be afraid to ask what scriptures the black pastor and the white pastor cited and quoted and discussed. Don't be afraid to let religious people tell their stories of how they've wrestled with this, especially in settings where the black voices and the white voices are listening to each other. And to do that, you simply have to take seriously the fact that there are good people in a lot of these churches. And let me mention again, we undercover the Church of God in Christ, the massive black Pentecostal denomination. There are crucial voices in these pews that just don't get heard unless you go to them, talk to them, listen to them, and let them speak in their own language on these types of subjects. And it really helps if you have an experienced, trained, excellent religion writer. Go do that. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. He is author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thanks. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at GetReligion.org.